0: Good morning, and welcome to the Winkler-Burchtoller Mennonite Church Sunday morning worship service for February 28, 2021. Glad that you could join us for worship this morning. Pull up a chair and join us for worship.
1: Greetings. We are glad that you could join us for this Sunday worship service. This is the second week of Lent, a remembering of the 40 days of Jesus in the desert, fasting, meditating, and resisting temptation. In so doing, we gain a greater appreciation of Christ's ultimate sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection, for in him we have hope. Lent focuses on fasting, sacrifice, charity, giving of oneself, and prayer, opening our hearts to God's refining grace, after which we then look forward to the celebration of Easter, our risen Lord. I would like to quote a comment I read. Although I was drawn to Christianity in search of joy, it was the cross that keeps me coming back day after day, year after year. It is this time of year known as Lent that I am reminded of what Jesus did for me. Unquote. There are many different ways to observe Lent, but this year made more difficult due to these unusual circumstances, and many most likely being overwhelmed with a multitude of cares and suffering. So, as we ponder a meaningful personal response in Lent, may I suggest to start Why not lean on the power of prayer to draw us closer in our relationship with God? Also, consider meditation in music and the words in the songs we sing. I am reminded of when I was much younger. Mother would put us kids to bed, and then she would go to the old pump organ and we could hear her play. One of her favorite hymns was What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And when you read or hear the words in the song, no matter where we are in life, that song has such a comfortable personal message that it can speak to everyone. Be it about loneliness, conflicts, guilt, Difficult challenges, just to name a few. It can bring amazing comfort. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I was going to sing that for you, but I did not want you to change channel. The song of some 160 years old, but sometimes, it some things just never change. So I would like to conclude my remarks with two verses found in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's take a brief look at the church bulletin. Copies of the bulletin can be picked up, they are available in the church office and online. We are now able to have two Sunday morning services in the church, but limited to 50 per service. The first one starts at 9.15 a.m. and the second one at 11 a.m. But you must register with Susan in the church office, indicating which service you wish to attend. Your last week's registration is still good but please let Susan know if you're not able to come so that she she can let others attend in that spot. We want to adhere to the Manitoba health orders. Uh, Our on-air service will continue as usual, and uh, we are tentatively scheduling a membership meeting for March the 22nd of this year and we are hoping restrictions will be sufficiently lifted by then for us to hold that meeting the 2020 annual report books are available at the church on the table in the foyer Uh, report books will also be sent by email I encourage you to review the rest of the bulletin on your own Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your gift of forgiveness, and grace. Thank you for drawing us into deeper communion with you as we meditate on your word. Thank you for your nearness and that you hear us when we bring our cares before you. Today, we are mindful of those in hospital and those that struggle with health issues at home. Assure them with your love and that you care for them. Lord, we give you thanks for the use of technology to enable us to share your message with so many. Lord, we also long for a closer fellowship with each other and pray for an end to the need of limiting gatherings. There is such joy to gather in fellowship and sing praises to your name. Lord, many of us are weary and anxious due to the burdens that COVID has laid on us. Hold our hand and guide us through the challenges before us. You know our needs Lord, there is purpose in everything you do. Inspire us to walk in faith, for you are our God. We pray that you be with Pastor Ingbrecht this morning as he brings us the message. Give him the words to speak. Inspire us with the message and enrich our learning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, everyone. The first song we're going to sing together is Here I Am to Worship.
2: Light of the world, you step down into darkness, open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you Hope of a life spent with you So here I am to worship Here I am to bow down Here I am to say that you're my God You're altogether lovely Altogether worthy all together, wonderful to me, King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake, became poor. So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. And I'll never know how much it costs, to see my sin upon the cross. And I'll never know how much it costs To see my sin upon the cross. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy,
3: all together
2: wonderful
4: to me.
2: The next song we're going to sing The Lord Loves Me. me, and oh, what a wonder I see, a rainbow shines through my window, the Lord loves me. He died for me on the cross at Calvary, he bore my sin and my shame when he died. For me He rose from the dead fulfilling each promise he said and someday home to my Savior I shall be led the Lord loves me and oh what a wonder I see. A rainbow shines through my window the Lord
4: loves me
2: The next song we're going to sing it is well with my soul When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well. It is the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord Sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so
3: Good morning. I'm very excited to be here with you to keep going with our exciting story. Do you remember last week how um, while Tim and Bunny were being held captive in their house by a group of gorillas, um, an airplane came in to help them because Tim hadn't been feeling well. They didn't realize that they had been captured and they flew in, even in a big storm, and how uh, as soon as they landed, the gorilla men surrounded the airplane with guns and they took Steve, one of the pilots, um, and held him captive in the village. And then the other pilot flew away with um, the other gorillas not knowing where they're going. So that was where we left off last time. Um, I'm wondering if this week, that if you um, remembered this story and were thinking about how the missionaries there were all reminded about how God was in control, even when life was really scary and they didn't know what was going to happen God helped them and encouraged them by reminding them of how he is always in control no matter what. And I hope this week you were reminded of that if you faced something that seemed scary or um, you weren't expecting. And I hope that God can encourage you with that as he has with me. So anyway, we'll keep going with our story. Part three. So as Paul took off in the airplane and flew over the Penavi village, he looked very closely for any sign of Tim or Bunny but saw none. He saw many Punabis, though. They looked so sad, standing with their arms hanging down, watching the plane. The guerrillas made Paul go to another airstrip, where a guerrilla commander got into the airplane. He was thin with tousled, curly hair. Hola, he greeted Paul in Spanish. We want you to make one more flight for us before we let you go. Let's go. I'm going to pray first, Paul said. No one said anything. They arrived at a place where the commander had told Paul to land on a small airstrip. From the airstrip he made Paul drive the airplane into a small jungle clearing. What a narrow path for an airplane. When Paul had driven the plane as far into the jungle as he could, the gorillas were still not satisfied. They pushed the airplane on into the woods by hand. The gorillas took Paul on a path through the jungle to a well-hidden camp where where there were simple shelters, beds made of four boards, Thin foam mattresses and mosquito nets under sheets of black plastic. Paul's guard pointed out a shelter for Paul. Paul dropped his bag on the ground and sat down on his assigned bed. How he wished this were just a nightmare and that he could wake up. But right now, he had important things to take care of. Most important was the airplane key in his pocket. The gorillas had taken the key he had used to fly the plane here, but they had no idea that he had this other key and he needed to hide it before someone found out. Keeping his eyes on the guard, he pushed the key far into the lining of his shoe. No one saw him do it. Thank you, Lord, he breathed. As it got dark, Paul climbed under his, under his mosquito net. Every three to five minutes, one of the gorillas walked up to his net and shined a flashlight on him. Talk about high security. In the morning, Paul woke up before it was light itching all over from mosquito bites. And as the long day wore on, he had plenty of time to think over how he had been captured the day before. The storm, that's how I got here, he suddenly realized. If it hadn't been for that storm, I would have noticed that there were no people on their strip as they usually are. Then it seemed as if God asked him, Paul, who controls the weather? You do, Lord, Paul prayed. And if God actually wanted them to land, well then, Lord, that would mean you want me to be right where I am, Paul whispered. For the first time, he began to relax a little bit. But the next question was, what do you want me to do here, Lord? Paul looked around him. Maybe he was there to tell the gorillas about Jesus. So he tried to talk to them whenever he had a chance, but he soon found that the gorillas' training had made them very hard against any idea of God. One gorilla tried to explain it to Paul. You're just like that log over there, made both of the same stuff. For me to kill you would just be like chopping that log over there with an axe. How very wrong, and what an awful thing to believe. When Paul was alone, he opened his Bible. He started reading in 1 Peter That we have a hope and a treasure that can't be destroyed. Because we believe in Jesus, we have a joy that can't be explained. Paul started feeling excited how different his whole life was from the girls' lives because he believed in Jesus. He felt great and so great that he started to think about escaping. After all, he had that key, but only God could help him get to that airplane. That afternoon, Paul had a visitor. While the other gorillas were dressed in camouflage or in old uniforms, this man looked like he had stepped straight out of a city office. Clearly, he was a big boss gorilla. He asked Paul lots of questions about himself and Newtrap's mission and asked to see all of Paul's licenses, passports, and others' papers. He was very pleased to see that Paul was not only a pilot, but a certified airplane mechanic as well. This was bad news for Paul. The guerrillas were excited about all the ways they could use a pilot and a mechanic. They certainly weren't going to let him go. But Paul did not let this discourage him. Once he was alone, he picked up his Bible again. And this time he read, I'm going to read it to you, from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. So if you are suffering in a matter that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Wow, thought Paul. I'm not only putting my hands into the one who made me, but made all of creation, the moon, the stars, and the whole universe. And that night, Paul slept better. The next day, he listened to the guards talking around him. And from what he heard, although there were other prisoners that had been just where he was now, sooner or later, they had all been killed. So Paul went back to his source of encouragement the Bible, and he read one story after another of how God had saved his people from their enemies. Sometimes they didn't even have to fight. As Paul read, he reminded himself that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. By this time, Paul had decided to escape that very night. What did he have to lose? If he had stayed, he would be killed sooner or later, and now he felt sure that God would help him. Slowly, very slowly, Paul worked at getting a small log under his bed. When he left, he would put it under his blanket so that it would look like he was still sleeping there. That night, when the guards shined their lights on Paul, he looked like he was sleeping soundly, but he wasn't. He just was wide awake, waiting for that chance to escape. Late that night, he heard a motorboat coming up the river. It sounded as if it were going to stop at their camp. The guard who had had his light shining on Paul turned away and headed towards the river. Quickly, Paul grabbed the log and stuck it under his blanket. Still lying down, he moved out from under the blanket and started putting his other stuff under it when swish! The light swung around and shone on Paul. The guard came closer and shined the light right on him. Oh no, he caught me, Paul thought. He just there where he was, frozen stiff, pretending to be asleep. The guards watched him for a while and then went and woke up the guard who was supposed to be on duty next. Paul heard them talking quietly. Soon the new guard came over and shone his light on Paul, waiting to see if he would move out of this weird position. And, but Paul did not move a muscle, but his heart was pounding. Lord, take control. Please take control. Finally, the guard walked away and Paul said, thank you, Lord. The next thing Paul knew, it was Tuesday morning, and he felt exhausted. That morning, the guard took away his little log. Oh, how discouraging. Then God seemed to ask him, Paul, what was it that encouraged you yesterday? And Paul knew what to do. He opened his Bible. He read how God delivered the Israelites when they were captive in Egypt. He read about a group of men that tried to capture Elisha, and the whole group was struck blind. He read how God made 3,000 of David's enemies fall so sound asleep that he could walk right into their midst and out again, and not one of them awoke. By the time night came again, Paul was really excited about what God could do. Again, he planned his escape, but he would sleep and trust God to wake him just before dawn so that he could escape while it was still dark, but land after it was light. With his spare tank, he had enough fuel to fly less than two hours. That would not get him to his mission's headquarters, but it would take him far from the gorilla's That night, Paul slept soundly. Can you believe that? Not even the flashlight woke him up. When he did awaken, it was pitch black, and he had no idea what time it was. Paul sat up and prayed, Lord, please blind the eyes of the guards who are awake. Make their ears deaf. Make the sleepy ones sleep so soundly they won't wake up till I'm gone. Thank you, Lord. Paul's heart pounded around him. Everything was very, very quiet. I'll wait until I hear someone snoring. Then I'll know God is answering my prayer, Paul decided, and he lay down again. But no one snored. Paul lay still, listening, waiting. Seconds went by. The guard came and shined his light on him. Paul went cold with fear. The guard turned away and walked away. Right then, Paul felt as if God nudged him, saying, Go! As soon as you get your feet out of this mosquito net, I'll do my part. Paul wadded up his clothes and bag and spread his blanket over it in the dark. I hope it looks like me, he thought. And in a flash, Paul was out from underneath the mosquito net. Carefully and oh so quietly, Paul took one step at a time towards the path to the airplane. But just as he got to the last shelter of the camp, a branch broke under his foot. Crack! Oh no! Paul froze. And that's where we're going to end our story today. I told you it was going to get exciting. Isn't that neat how Paul was in the situation that was so out of control and not where he wanted to be at all, and he knew that he could be even killed anytime by these men. But God continued to encourage him through the Bible. Remember, Paul went back to the promises God made. He went back to the stories where God saved his people, and that was what encouraged Paul. And so I was thinking this week, let's also be encouraged by God's word. Let's read those stories and remember who God is and what that means to us and how we can live differently because of who God is and what he's done in our lives. And maybe we could even memorize some of those verses that Paul talked about in his story here um, so that they're right on the tip of our minds when um, things happen around us. So that's where we'll leave it today. And tomorrow we, or next Sunday, we'll keep going with the story.
5: Good morning. Scripture reading today will be taken from Matthew 24, verses 1 to 25. That's Matthew 24, verses 1 to 25. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? he asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately "'Tell us,' they said, "'when will this happen, "'and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age?' "'Jesus answered, "'Watch out that no one deceives you, "'for many will come in my name, "'claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. "'You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, "'but see to it that you are not alarmed. "'Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. "'Nation will rise against nation, "'and kingdom against kingdom. "'There will be famines and earthquakes "'in various places.' All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been shortened, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false... Christ's and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of
0: time. I've been told to inform you that this morning's speaker is uh, not expressing the views of winkler burchtaler Mennonite Church, but that these are his personal views. Well, this morning we're going to talk about must believers endure the tribulation. And we know that there are a number of views on this, so this is not the authoritative version as in uh, this is the thing we all have to believe. But uh, this is my interpretation of what I see the Scriptures saying, so I invite you to think along with me as we look at the Scriptures that I'll present today. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father in heaven... I thank you for this day, I thank you that you have given us minds to think, and I pray that as we look at the scriptures uh, together, uh, that you would help us to have some understanding, some new understanding today, um, inhabit our minds, uh, help us to put away the distractions of the week, and then to focus on you and on your word, and would you make clear to us what you have in store for us today. We ask this in the name of your Son, Amen. Well, we are living in times of uncertainty, which doesn't mean that terrible things are happening. It just means that unusual things are happening and we're not really sure how they're all going to play out. Some of us, in times of uncertainty, uh, react in different ways. Uh, Some run for cover because of fear and anxiety. Others wonder what all the fuss is about and they just carry on as usual. Um, Some will have a tough time with resisting uh, prescribed uh, responses to the situation that we're in and still others just observe and ponder the events of the day but believers having heard biblical warnings of the last days become increasingly interested in what the scripture has to say for those of us who tend toward fear the very things that the scripture says make us afraid Well, there's encouragement for you in today's message. Those who tend not to fear will look at current events with curiosity and certainly with some excitement. Today, I will try to answer some questions which interpreters have answered in various ways. The aim of asking these questions is not to get into debate with those who hold other interpretations. I have friends right here in this church who disagree with me on some of these points but we are not breaking fellowship over unresolved teachings of the end times. My aim here is to strengthen, prepare, and give assurance to the church. Let's learn to listen to each other's thoughts about the scriptures and point each other back to the scriptures as we try to learn together what the Bible is saying. I trust that I'm not the only one. With much to learn. What end time scriptures do tell us is that Jesus is sovereign, he is Lord, that he is coming soon, that the powers of darkness will be defeated, that the church will be purified, that the servants of God will be preserved, and that ultimate justice will be executed through the judgment of the wicked and the completed salvation of the full company of those who believe God. So the questions I'm going to try and answer this morning are these. What is the tribulation, and when does it happen? What's the purpose of the tribulation? What does the Bible say about the believer's experience of the tribulation? And finally, so what? What does it mean for my life? So the first question, what is the tribulation, and when will it take place? The Greek word translated tribulation is the word philipsis, and what it means is trouble, suffering, or persecution. Paul used to speak of the burdens or sufferings of Christians in 2 Corinthians and Romans in the normal course of living a Christian life. But that same word is also used by Jesus when he said, There will be a great tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. Daniel also speaks of a time of trouble such as has never been since the beginning, sorry, since there was a nation until that time. These things speak of a climax event, an event which is not normal. What we're looking, uh, looking at at this time is a great tribulation associated with the escalation of the last days. It will be a time of great distress upon the whole world that many have interpreted to last seven years. Jesus compares the time of the end to the labor of childbirth. He said to his disciples in Matthew 24, as we've already heard. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. This tells me that as the end approaches, There's going to be ever increasing pressure and pain and distress until finally it's over. Although believers have throughout history experienced tribulation, the scriptures do seem to say that there is a tribulation coming at the end of the age that is unlike anything that has ever taken place. What is the purpose of the tribulation? Can't God wrap up the end of the age without the great tribulation? Why do the people of God need to experience increasing hardships as the end draws near? And if the tribulation is only for the wicked, why have a tribulation at all? Why wouldn't God just move straight to judgment day? As I understand it, the purpose of the tribulation is for the purification of the church and the settling of the mind for all people regarding the lordship of Jesus Christ. Without a doubt, there is judgment being poured out on the unrighteous during the tribulation. But this outpouring of judgment also forces people to make decisions. There is less and less room on the fence, as people are forced to decide where they stand. It used to be that one could be a staunch Christian and a respected leader in society, but that is increasingly difficult to do, as many of us are aware. The world progressively demands more allegiance to its own priorities. You adulterous people, writes James, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James 4.4. 4. In John 15.19, Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you those distinctions between friendship with God and friendship with the world are easier to make than they used to be. So we can already see the separating effect as priorities of the kingdom of God clash with those of the world. The tribulation is a separating of sheep and goats, of those who stand with God and those who stand against him. Perhaps one of the signs of our time is the polarization we see in many sectors of human society. Whether it's the environment, or science, or healthcare, politics, religion, the church, we are seeing people polarize, and it is happening on a global scale. And with this, I'm not suggesting that the church is one, on one end or the other of, of any of these issues, but what I'm saying is that just as polarization is taking place in the world, a similar thing is happening between the church and the world. God or not God. So as I see it, the purpose of the tribulation is the purification of the church, Drawing out of darkness those who will yet believe and purging the church of false teachers and false believers. But this purification will also have an effect on us believers as we mature in faith. What is it that matures faith? Is it not testing? Is it even possible to mature without testing? If the mountains are any kind of a spiritual picture, you'll notice that nothing grows on the mountaintop. All the growth is in the valley. Isn't it the same in our lives? We grow when we struggle. In the prophets, there's an indication of testing to come. On a day of reckoning, told by the prophet Zechariah, God says of his people, Refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. Zechariah 13.9 Refine them as one refines silver. I wonder how you do that. With fire? <laughs> the prophet Malachi wrote of the day of the Lord's appearing like this. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver. I'd like to tell you a little story about refining silver that corresponds to this passage. And you may have heard it before is a story of a woman's Bible study group that wondered what Malachi 3.3 said about the character and nature of God. One of the women offered to look into the process of refining silver and report back the following week. That week, an appointment was made with a silversmith to watch him at work, and the woman didn't make any mention about her reason beyond her curiosity of the process. At that appointment, she watched closely as the silversmith held a piece of silver over the fire to heat it up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire, where it was the hottest, so as to burn away all the impurities. She asked the silversmith if he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. Oh, yes, he said explaining that he not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on it the entire time. If the silver was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. She thought for a moment and then asked, so how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled and said, oh, that's easy, when I can see my image in it. Well, if that's an accurate account of the silver refining process, then we can be assured that God is paying close attention to his people in their testing. He doesn't want us to be destroyed, but purified, and to pass the test. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Peter wrote about having to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Do you see? Testing proves our faith. The more we are tested, the purer and stronger our faith will be. Look at the fiery furnace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Against the threat of being cast into that furnace, they stood their ground, Refusing to worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Who was that furnace for? Not for those worshipping the golden image. That furnace was a test for the people of God. Would they remain true to God or would they betray him? If we turn then to Revelation chapter 7, we see the outcome of that testing. When John was shown that great multitude from every language, tribe, and nation, uh, and shouting praises to God, we read this. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They passed the test. They endured to the end. And I believe this is God's purpose in testing the saints in the Great Tribulation. To prepare a people for a holy God, both in resolve and in purity. Well, what does the Scripture say about the believer's experience in the Tribulation? Well, The Bible does not tell us what our itching ears want to hear. And hopefully we will not do as Israel and Judah did to their prophets, telling them not to prophesy terrible things or telling them to be quiet. Eileen and I have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter who has quite a mind of her own. And when she doesn't want to hear what you're saying, especially if she doesn't want to be confronted, she says, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. It's pretty hilarious when you see that in a little two-year-old. But the sober reality is that all of us say it in different ways when we hear things that we do not want to hear. That was Israel's response to the prophets. Don't talk to me. I hope that we will be wise enough to counsel ourselves not to say that, not to say that to the scriptures that we hear today. Rather, since Jesus told us ahead of time what would happen, we know that we can trust him and his word and therefore heed the warnings and prepare ourselves to stand. So what does the Bible say about the believer's experience of the tribulation? Well, number one, we are warned about deception and urged to prepare. The first thing that Jesus said in response to the disciples' question about the end of the age was this see that no one leads you astray. That statement is both a warning not to be deceived and a motivation to prepare. What does a person need to do to avoid deception? Run away? Put your head in the sand? What's the best thing to do if your history teacher tells you there are going to be a couple of trick questions on your exam today? What would you do? Flip a coin? Or would you study so that you would know your history well and be able to answer the questions correctly? Pursuing knowledge. Knowledge of the Holy One is one way to combat deception. What else can the believer do to prepare against deception. The Apostle Paul gave us a really good picture of the equipment that is available to the believer when the enemy strikes. We know this equipment as the armor of God, and I think it is no coincidence that the first piece of that equipment is the belt of truth or the girdle of truth. Truth is imperative in combating deception. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. The goal of preparation and the goal of this armor is that we will be left standing when the battle is done. So if we want to stand firm, we need to heed the warning about deception and prepare ourselves. Number two, concerning our experience, in the the tribulation, is that we will suffer persecution. Jesus said to his disciples, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, I think that statement was said about the Christian life in general. But Jesus also said, when they were talking about the end of the age, You will hear wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. Then it says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. In Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has one of his end-time visions, he sees the vision of four beasts, which represent four kingdoms. The fourth beast represents a kingdom that will devour the whole earth, and on it David observed a great horn. This horn, he wrote, made war with the saints and prevailed over them. And then in Revelation chapter 13... John observed a similar beast, and he wrote this. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And if we look at Revelation 13.10 and 14.12 during what looks like tribulation events there's a call for the saints to endure to hang in there. It seems to me that there is plenty of evidence for the persecution, suffering and death of the saints during the tribulation. But number three and I think you'll be glad to hear this, is that the saints are protected and preserved. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Aren't those encouraging words? Do not fear what you're about to suffer. It's like Jesus is saying to, to us, you can do this, it's not for long, and I'll be waiting for you, just hang in there. Jesus said something similar in Matthew twenty four twenty two. If those days had not been cut short, no human, would, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The believers are the elect. And Jesus puts a limit on their suffering. That's one protection. In Revelation chapter 7, we read that before the angels are released, who have power to harm the earth and the sea, the servants of God are sealed. The Greek word there translated sealed is a word that means to mark or to seal, primarily To indicate ownership. So it's as if God is saying uh, before he releases these angels of destruction, don't touch them, those are mine. And if you need confirmation of that, turn to Revelation 9 4, where the locusts come up from the bottomless pit, and we're told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So the servants of God are protected in the tribulation by the seal of the living God, and in this way will not experience the judgments that befall the unbeliever. This is similar to the experience of Israel in Egypt, isn't it? After the third of ten plagues... God began to distinguish between his people and the Egyptians. God protected Israel from the plagues that fell on Egypt. Or look at the case of Noah. When the rains came and the earth was flooded, it was Noah's family that was protected while all the earth got flooded. Noah and his family were not spared the flood experience, but God protected them through it. And in like manner, I believe God will protect his saints through the tribulation. As I was preparing for this message, I recalled a book I once read called Vanya. It's a story of a young Russian soldier who was a Christian. Because of his faith in Jesus, he suffered much at the hands of his superiors. Many things were done to him to cause him pain, discomfort, or harm, but he always recovered and he never got sick. Often the Lord was with him in his suffering, and his experience was not as painful as it could have been. At one point, he was forced to stand all night, outside, at minus thirty, in summer clothing. For several nights in a row they made him do this. And yet he suffered no harm to his body and he felt no cold. So whether it is ancient Israel, the family of Noah, or a man who has to stand alone because of his faith, God protects and preserves his people. So let's review what we've learned. What is the tribulation? It is an intense but limited period of suffering and persecution that will come at the end of the age. And what is its purpose? The purpose of the tribulation is to separate the people of God from the people of the world and to purify the saints. And what does the Bible say about the believer's experience of the tribulation? We are warned about deception and urged to prepare that we, will, we ourselves will suffer persecution, but that we will also be protected and preserved. And now we come to the last question. So what? How is this helpful for me today? Well, first of all, I am concerned about a shipwreck of faith for those who are unprepared. And why would people be unprepared? Well, let me explain. A good analogy is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says that if you have enough faith, you will be healthy and wealthy. The implication, of course, is that if you are ill or poor, you must be lacking in faith, if you're a Christian at all. If a person believes this message and then experiences serious illness, or somebody in the family dies of cancer, or the bank account is always running dry, a common response to that is to conclude that either the gospel is false, and therefore God is false, or I don't have enough faith, and therefore I'm condemned anyway. Many people have abandoned faith in situations like that. My concern is if people will believe that they will not have to endure the tribulation and then find themselves in it, that they will abandon their faith in God and conclude that God does not preserve the saints and that the gospel is not true. I think that the Bible gives sufficient evidence that believers will have to endure the tribulation, and therefore I believe we need to prepare for it. If my interpretation is wrong, it will not result in a crisis of faith. The second answer to so what is this. If we have to face deception and persecution as the end draws near, then we ought to heed the warnings, prepare our minds for action, and be ready to face the future with confidence, with joy, and with an eye on the prize. Listen to these promises. These promises to the saints from the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And of course, these are only some of the promises that the believer can claim. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, And I will give him a white stone and a new name on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. The one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And finally, the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Do you remember the confident faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These three, together with Daniel, decided early on that they would walk in the ways of their God and worship him. They were prepared. So when King Nebuchadnezzar demanded that they bow down and worship his golden image or be thrown into the fiery furnace, they said... We know what happened after that. Brothers and sisters, let us be counted among those who endure to the end. Let us pre- prepare ourselves to stand against deception and endure the persecution with the confidence that stems from a tested faith in the living God. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father in heaven, it is no hardship for us to understand how the people of Israel did not want to hear what their prophets were saying. But Father, I pray that you would give us an ear for your word today. It is frightening. It does cause us to think seriously about our faith and about our ability to stand But you have promised that you are going to be there. That you will seal the servants, your servants. And that we will not suffer things that are not meant for us. And you have urged us and cheered us on to be faithful to the end. And then to claim the prize. Thank you, Father, for your word. I pray that you will... Help us to think on these things in the coming days and incorporate these things into our living. Help us to live like we are preparing to stand. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: The last song we're going to sing in closing is Christ is Mine Forevermore. is made to walk with him yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the king of kings but mine is open my redeemer though I fall his love is sure for Christ has paid for every failure I am his Sorrow, darkness not yet understood Through the valley I must travel Where I see no earthly good But mine is peace that flows from heaven And the strength in times of need I know my pain will not be wasted Christ completes Work in me.
4: Mine are days here as a stranger.
2: Harm and hatred for his name. But mine is armor for this battle. Strong enough to last the war. And he has said he will deliver. Safely to the golden shore. And mine are keys to Zion City. Where beside The King I walk For there my heart Has found its treasure
4: Christ is mine
2: Forevermore
4: Come rejoice My
2: soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore, and mine are keys to Zion City, where beside the king I walk, for there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore Christ is mine
4: forevermore Christ is mine forevermore
0: And now I'd like to leave you with this benediction from Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood And made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And also I'd like to leave you with this blessing from Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.